thing to think about sex trafficking but it may be happening we think in the shadows though it is happening much closer to home than many of us believe there's a new documentary that's taking it on it's called trapped showing how the underworld of crime of sex how the underworld crime I should say of sex trafficking breaks out in middle schools and high schools in this film uh, a teenager makes a single bad decision at a party and look what it does Good girls get in trouble for doing these kinds of things. Now, meet me at the diner at 2 p.m. or these go viral. And don't tell your parents. I spoke with Jan Edwards earlier. She's from the advocacy group Paving the Way. And she talked about the warning signs that we need to look out for in our kids. The average age is 12, according to the FBI. 12? And Homeland Security, yes. So there are parents watching this going, yes. what do I do to keep yes. this from happening? Yeah, so there's parents are the front line of defense for us. And it's when you spend quality time with your children and you really get to know who they spend time with, what they love, what they um, are passionate about, such that you can notice these slight alterations of if a child loves dance and then comes home one day and goes, I don't want to dance anymore or they're playing baseball or they're playing football and go, I don't really want to do that anymore. That's a massive alteration in the behavior. You know, low self-esteem, watching grades drop, having a whole new set of friends. The CNN Freedom Project is committed to helping bring an end to modern day slavery. To learn more uh, and find a way to help, go to our website, cnn.com freedom. We'll be right back. What is the darkness that is lying beneath our eyes? And what are the things that we are turning away from because they're so terrible, they're too uncomfortable to talk about? And because of that, we're not making progress in areas that we should all be on the same team on. Today on Dr. D's Social Network, we talked to a wonderful human being, Jan Edwards, who is bringing to light the topic of human sex trafficking. There is so much that I did not know about this terrible practice. And there's a darkness there that needs to be exposed. And Jan is working incredibly hard to create a light and to educate others so that so many people will not be going through this terrible, terrible ordeal. Buckle up for a very in-depth conversation about human sex trafficking and how we can stop it with Jan Edwards. Oh, now 
gone, man. I was like, I was on like like another wavelength there. I think you know, like it. You know what? It happens. Look, this topic that we're about to cover today is pretty heavy, and um, it's interesting what happens to technology when we had this conversation. I can't tell you how many times you know people have asked to interview me, and we've had to restart the Zoom or we've recorded it separately. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. So. Um, it's not new to me and I just have patience and love and gratitude for the opportunity to share really vital and valuable information with people. Wow. That's uh what a great perspective to have really. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, well, you know what? I want to just jump into it. Honestly, this is something I think we just got to get in there and really, uh, take a deep dive. So let tell me about your journey and helping with to get the word out about uh, how we can stop human sex trafficking. Yeah. So I'm going to back up and give you a little bit of like how I got here, right? Because most yeah. people automatically assume I'm a survivor and uh, mm. uh, I'm actually a thriver, right? And I'm not a survivor. I'm, I'm very happy to say I've never had any of that kind of level of abuse happen in my life. But and there are so many people that are, right? And so I um, was invited to the Get Health Summit at the UN about seven years ago. And you ever been to an environment or, or a event and like you've met somebody or you've seen them up on the dais and you're like, I got to talk to that person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that was one of those things. There was this extraordinary man, his name's Dr. Mahari, and he's a neurologist out of um, Vanderbilt and he's got a... Uh, 501c3 and he gathers the diaspora of Ethiopia to really make an impact on the children in Ethiopia and you know we met we shared cards and he was one of those you know people who's like I gotta talk to you a little further so we connected the following week and you know exchanged a couple of pleasantry emails and he informed me that he was going to Ethiopia and I'm like great have a good time send pictures and we'll talk when you come back and he sent me an email right back and says do you want to go and um um you know it's not every day you get invited to go to Ethiopia no I don't think so <laughs> it's not every day no. you get invited to do that no so I remember sitting in it was at lunch with my mom and my daughter and I'm looking down at my phone. I looked at my mom. I said, I just got invited to go to Ethiopia, you know, and my mom being a mom, she's like, you're not going, are you? You (laughs) (laughs) And my daughter, she's my biggest cheerleader out in the world. She's like, you're going, right? So I uh, go home, do the math, have a conversation with Ethiopian Airlines and I booked my ticket. And it was while I was in Ethiopia coming home from a day of a medical mission trip that I witnessed human trafficking and I didn't know what it was at the moment, right? I saw two older men, two younger girls, and it just didn't feel right. And so when I got to my sponsor's house, I shared with him, both he and his wife were physicians. And uh, I said, I shared with him what I saw him, and he looks at me, he's like, well, yeah, jams, you know, human trafficking. Like, yeah, Darian, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It was just super nonchalant about it. And I looked at him, I go, what are you talking about? He says, Jan, we have 4.5 million orphans in Ethiopia. We're the number one source of human trafficking in the Middle East. And I paused for a moment. I looked at him 
And I said, hang on a second. Now you got to get this is seven years ago, Darian, right? This isn't yesterday. This is a while ago. I said, hang on a second. I go, you're telling me people are selling people? And he looks at me like I got three heads. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, Dan, where you been? It's like, yeah. I go, well, look, I live in the happiest place on earth. We don't talk about things like this, right? Right. And, uh, you know, I'm still staring at him with this look of disbelief. And he says, Jan, this is a $150 billion industry. Whoa. Yeah. And it was right there that God laid this on my heart. And I came home from my trip and I started to do some research. And I discovered that Florida has the third highest number of calls to the National Trafficking Hotline in the country. California's first, Texas is second, and then Florida. And I was like, you know what, Ethiopia, I'm coming for you. And I got to alter my own backyard first. So I, uh, I don't know a lot. I tell people I don't know a lot, and I know a lot of people. So I started making phone calls. Because when I found that out, I'm like, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is ha- like, wait a minute, this is happening in my own backyard. Why is no one talking about this, right? It's like our children's futures are being totally thwarted. Why is no one talking about this? And so I, I literally talked to people at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, FBI, Homeland Security, undercover police officers, and survivors, and I asked them all the same question. What's missing? Why are people not talking about this? And they said, awareness, people do not know this is happening. I'm like, well, that's something I can take on with my background. I was in the telecommunications industry for a very long time for 20 plus years. And my background's in marketing and advertising. I'm like, raising awareness? I can do that. So (laughs) I uh, wrote and produced an award-winning film. And that's what we use in our training programs to educate people about the intentional recruitment of children not only by adults but by children and that and we've educated over 13,000 people in person and since the current environment that we're in we've probably educated millions um, with our online videos and Facebook lives and podcasts and radio shows and you know people are because we knew I knew the moment the moment they closed down our college in March here at UCF, University of Central mm-hmm. Florida. I'm like, schools are going to be next. And then it hit yeah. me. I'm like, schools are going to be next. Oh my gosh. 3.2 million children in the state of Florida are going to be at risk. It was like, oh my gosh. And so we got on the horn and created videos um, specifically to debunk myths about human trafficking and to raise awareness and educate people. And, um, you know, it's the our videos have been watched, you know, thousands of times, which is great. And we, there's still more work to do. So why do you think that people, this is something that a lot of people aren't aware of versus some other topics that may be getting a lot of attention? Well, they are now. Ever since the arrest of Jeffrey Epstein and then Ghislaine Maxwell mm-hmm. and all of the U.S. Marshals, all the work they're doing in conjunction with the FBI and local law enforcement, more and more people are aware of it. And it's been, you know, if if someone had told me at the beginning of all of this that you're going to be busier during a quote, quote, shutdown mm-hmm. <laughs> than right. you are when things are open, I would have laughed at them. But the, the, 
fascinating part is when people are home and they're having to spend more time in the online environment than they ever have before. Um, and more information is released about what's happening out in the world around this. Parents in particular are now very interested. When I first started this several years ago, seven years ago, I knew I wanted to target hotels and parents. People thought I was nuts. People thought I was so, they're like prevention, Jan. How can you prevent this? I'm like by educating people what it is. Mm -hmm. It costs five bucks to educate a kid. It costs millions to rescue, restore, and reintegrate a survivor. Mm. Right? It doesn't take a whole lot of math to figure out which is the smartest path, not to mention the billions of dollars that our country has spent on untreated childhood trauma that end up later as chronic illnesses. The CDC did a study in 2016. We spent $124 billion on chronic illnesses from untreated childhood trauma. That's why. That's why I want to do prevention. It is. It is. It's like, that's like, let's cut. Let's get to the source, right? Let's get to the source and pull the root out and see what kind of difference we can make. And, you know, I I think a lot of people up until really about a year ago, this was because it is dark. Look, Darian, this is a dark topic. Right. And that's what I was thinking. Like, well, weirdly enough, it's a dark topic that has been in the darkness for a lot of people. And what's the turning point? Like, what has been the turning point that has become more of a focal point for more people? Is it the highlighting of celebrity people, you know? Yeah, well, I think it's a couple of things to be, you know, I am kind of a straightforward girl. So I'm just going to tell you a couple of things. First of all, um, because it's uncomfortable, people don't like to be with things that are uncomfortable. We don't. As human beings, we will avoid pain and go for pleasure all day long. And I think that's part of it, right? People just like you literally, the human brain can't be with something that painful. And I remember the very first time I witnessed it, right? I knew something didn't feel right. And I'm like, did I really see what I saw? Like I questioned myself, right? And then even the second time I saw it, it was like, wait, hang on, wait, was that really what I, you know, so it takes our brain a minute to wrap its mind around it really to grasp the impact of that and then once you grasp the impact you're either going to repel from it or you're going to be like "Mm -mm, not on my watch this is not okay our kids lives are at risk this isn't okay I got to do something about it and we've had more people reach out to us in the past four months then I've been out having this dialogue the past six years. You know, people are coming out of the woodwork going, because we're very active on social media. You know, if, if you want to know what's happening out in that world, you follow me on Facebook, Jan Edwards, or you follow our organization, Paving the Way. And all of our social media is at Paving W. Um, you know, we're posting information and articles and tips and tools all the time because we know the reality of this. And I just like, I just got a, a, someone tagged me on a missing girl this morning and people just, they're like, okay, now I know what this could be. Now I know what to do. And, and so I think people are starting to wake up to the reality of this courtesy of the arrest of Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein. It's like, this became real when they started talking about all of these people that traveled to that Island you know, and then the next person was Peter Nygaard, a fashion designer up in New York. He's another huge case. Um, you know, oh, and I didn't then know about got, that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huge, 
huge out of the Bahamas, Bahamas and New York. He's international. It's just, it's, mm. it's disgusting what these men have done to these girls. And, um, yeah. And then you've got Ghislaine Maxwell, who's a part of it. And she's, you know, I am very clear. A lot of these international rings and stings that are going down, a lot of that data has got to be coming from her. You know, there was another big bust in right. Greece, you know, so, um, thank God, thank God that this is starting to come to light and more and more people are willing to have the conversation about it. And to me, that's everything. Cause if you don't know, if you don't even, if you're not even aware of it, you can't do anything about it. So that's why we're so big on prevention education and awareness training and getting out into the community and talking to people, because once people know they can start looking and we can reduce the number of kids that are sucked into this life. And we can increase the number of calls to the National Trafficking Hotline and get people help. That's the whole purpose of this. And, you know, you've got this continuum, right? You've got the, you've got the recruitment, the grooming, the trafficking, the, ex, you know, the, the removal of being trafficked or the rescues. And then you've got rehabilitation, reintegration, back into life. You're talking about, you know, there's so many of us that are really at, at, you know, we're at this fight, Shared Hope and ECPAT and United Abolitionists and the Rebecca Bender Initiative um, have all been at this for, you know, 10 or more years. A21. And, you know, they've been beating this drum for a long time. And I tell people, I said, sometimes I feel like there's a couple of us that have been, do you remember the movie Horton Hears a Who? Yes. Yeah. And they, and it finally took the very last who to actually yell out, we are here for it to actually be heard by everybody. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's one of the things that we were able to be is we were so loud and so assertive and never, we were never quiet. We didn't shut up about it. That, I, you know, I think a lot of all these other people started coming in the mix that were never in the mix before, you know, parents and businesses and schools and principals and PTAs. And so collectively, you know, poof, out comes this, we are here and we're out to disrupt this cycle of child trafficking right at the same time, you know, Epstein gets arrested, like all these high profile things happened. And now people are like, oh, that's what you've been talking about. <laughs> mm, right. Like you're not, you know, it's like, whoa, now you're actually, I actually am lending some credence to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. you know? like, mm -hmm. Incredible. So let's dive yeah. a little bit deeper. You talked about debunking sure. some myths. Let's, let's, let's get that on the table and, and sure. understand that a bit more. Sure. Well, you know, a lot of times people think that, um, you know, they don't really understand the difference between human trafficking and um, smuggling, right? They're like, well, isn't that the same thing? Well, no, it's not. Um, you know, and this is really great because we're always learning new stuff too, right? Because people assume, so here's the myth, human trafficking involves movement. I have to take you from point A to point B, whether it's right. from one city to another one state to another or one country to another. That's not the case. Human trafficking is, is not voluntary. People do not choose to be exploited. And it's not a business relationship, right? And 
the traffickers actually use force, fraud, or coercion for adults. They make some kind of promise. The promise isn't delivered, but because you've actually showed up, and if it's internationally, you've probably given your passport to someone. If it's across state lines, you're now trapped, right? And smuggling is actually a crime against the state or a country, where human trafficking is a crime against humanity. It's probably the biggest distinction. Smuggling actually involves a person crossing an international border. It seems, yeah, it seems to be voluntary because the person chooses to be smuggled, right? And if you look at the border, right, there's coyotes that will literally take people across the border. Right, right. You know, and it kind of ends up as a quote, quote, business relationship because I pay the smuggler X, the smuggler gets me across the border, right? And generally, the smugglers make their money up front. Now, that could be a just a OTO, one time only. I'm going to get you across the border. You're done. A lot of times they intersect. I have your passport. Yep, you paid me up front, but now you owe me for transportation. You owe me for food. You owe me for shelter. You owe me for this. You owe me for that. And so I'm now going to have you either work in the fields, right, as an agricultural slave laborer, or I'm going to, if you're female or male, I'm going to have you, you know, I'm going to sell you for sex so you can quote, quote, earn your money back. So the thing that I really want to leave with people, and I want to ask you a question, Darian, and you can answer it for your listeners. Do you really think anyone would choose a life where you're raped 10 to 25 times a night? Of course not. That's crazy. No, no. No one chooses this life ever, ever. At some oh point my gosh. in time. Yeah, that's the thing. Because people go, well, what about this? And what about that? It's like, no, no. I just want you to do the thinking. The more people that start to do some thinking, the difference we can, bigger difference we can make. Because if you think about it logically, even if a woman thinks this is her only choice of putting food on her table. That's not really a choice either because you're being impacted by some economic issue. Right? Even if someone has a back injury and ends up on opioids and now is addicted to opioids and can't get off and they're like, well, um I know some I know I can make money by selling my body. That's not a choice either. You know, and then you add in pimp controlled prostitution. No girl wants to be raped 15, 25 a night. No, no boy wants to sell their body. It's not a choice. So it's probably one of the biggest myths. The other big myth is it's only girls. About 30% of youth trafficked are boys. That's, that's surprising. I didn't know that. My, I don't think a lot of people know that, honestly. Mm-mm. They don't. They don't. And another myth is, well, it's, you know, from someone from underserved communities. No. there's a. I work very closely with law enforcement here. And um, there's a case that one of my friends is working right now that, you know, sh- the little girl lived in a great, you know, she lived in a good home. 
parents, good parents. And she got online and started sending pictures to people. Mm. And then the next thing you know, hey, let's meet. And then she's being sold. And she comes from a good home and a good family. Yeah. So, and it, and look, human trafficking knows no socioeconomic, no demographic, no geographic boundary. You're as likely to be trafficked therein as a 14 year old young girl. And that's the thing. It knows no boundary. There was a, I have a friend who's a, um, a legal investigator and he, that's part of what he does is he goes and, and, you know, finds children and rescues them. And well, anyone, you know, he'll, he'll anyway, so he uh, he was on his way. So he's very familiar with this. He was on his way to Vegas for a conference, and he was sitting on the outside seat of his plane. And in the middle was an older gentleman, probably in his mid to late seventies, very you know slight build. And on the window seat was this like I'll just call him groovy dude. You know, we mm-hmm. all know those kind of guys, right? You know, just got a little swagger, thinks he's all that in a bag sure. of chips and. You know, and and if you weren't paying attention, you would think that he was talking to the guy in the middle, if you weren't paying attention. But he's like, yeah, when we get to Vegas, you know, we'll, we get, I, don't, I don't think I want to drive a Tahoe. I think we should rent an Escalade because you don't want, we don't want to roll up into the Bellagio in a, in a Tahoe. We want to roll up to the Bellagio in an Escalade. And then I think, you know, I, I think I know there's a really great, you know, clothing store there, Ferragamo. We're going to go by Ferragamo and get some shoes and go by Dior and get some new suits. And this, you know, older gentleman, his whole body language was inward, right? Just his whole totally toward inward looking down. He just kept shaking his head. And so my friend kind of looks over, gets up, calls, the, you know, goes and talks to the flight attendant, goes, I think this guy's being trafficked. He's being used for something right? Because he could just tell by the body language. And sure enough, when they landed the plane that everybody stay, stay put, the authorities came, pulled them both off. And this guy was trafficking this older gentleman for his money. They were threatening his family when they were using him and his money. Man. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third thing that I want to, and this is probably one of the most prevalent. And when I say this, people are going to go, yeah, I've seen that. Right. And those are the traveling crews. And we've all seen them. They're the little kids, they're younger kids that walk around with, you know, tubs of stuff, you know, the $5 candy and the $5 mm-hmm. candles and all of that. Right. And they, you, and you've seen the signs, you know, earn $5,000 over the summer, earn $1,500 over the holidays, you know, that they stick right outside of schools. Yes. Well, they're recruited for bogus charities or, or in quotes, you know, like summer type employment programs. And the exploitation is around money. They promise them for every $5 thing you sell is $2. But what happens if you don't meet the quota, they're going to threaten you or they'll punish you. And for every if they'll give them flip phones, they'll, they'll charge them a dollar for every phone call they make. If they get water, they'll charge them a dollar for water. You know, they'll promise them lunch, right? They'll go through the dollar menu at McDonald's, but then dock the pay at the end of the day. You know, so you think you're, you know, you're supposed to, you, you, after you sell everything in your tub, you should be getting, you know, a hundred dollars or so. Well, if they go home with 10 or $20, it's a lot. And here's the thing, what these guys do, they're very sneaky is they will 
go in and have a conversation with the parent. And the moment the parent signs that waiver that these people have a say, right? Like, yep, I agree to whatever it is you're going to provide for my kid. There's no legal recourse. Because the parents approved it, having no idea. You know, and they've, you know, when they had the Super Bowl in in Texas, there were a bunch of traveling crews from Florida out in Texas. When they, when we had the Super Bowl in Miami, there were traveling crews from all over the Southeast. These young kids that are being unsupervised, piling 20 of them in a van, unsafe, no seatbelts. You know, and we think they're raising money for some charity and I'll coach all of my friends I go be nice right don't be like oh my god you're being trafficked (laughs) right right be polite get their name and ask if you can take pictures of the paperwork and then you want to immediately send that to the cyber tip line and you want to call your statewide um you know in, in Florida it's the Department of Children and Family Services in other states it's called CRC you know it's a variety of things but almost every single state has an abuse line number you want to put that abuse line number in your phone and you want to call that line and you want to be polite, you know, get their name. What school do they go to? You know, conversationally getting as much information as you can. So when you call those lines, you can tell them, you know, so-and-so says he goes to this school, he's in this grade, right? You know, they're working for this quote, quote organization. And these, these guys that run these organizations are very smart because if they get close, they're close to being caught they'll shut down that company, go open another one under a completely different name, completely different, you know, operational license and do the same thing over again. And because, you know, the youth that they normally target are from underserved areas, you know, the kids, because look, we've we've stood in front of 13,000 kids, Darian, we have this conversation with them. All right. And I'll say, if, if you were in that situation, how many of you would tell your parents? Maybe a handful would raise their hands because they already know, they already feel like a burden to their parent. And they're not a burden, but that's their experience. If their parent's working two, three jobs, if there's a lot of stress in the household, right? It's like, how do I bring extra money in? How do I help the household? Well, this is a way I can help the household. And If I'm in an underserved area and I need a new pair of tennis shoes and there's no money for tennis shoes, bringing home, you know, 20 or 40 bucks a weekend, I can buy a pair of tennis shoes. So there's a trade-off for them. They're willing to work 18 hours a day for little to no pay, be dehydrated, not be fed to buy a pair of tennis shoes. Wow. I mean, this is, uh, it's very stark, you know, it's the, uh, the gravity. I wonder though, the, you said California, Texas, Florida, correct? Mm-hmm. Or the, yep. What's the common thread there? I mean, I think I have an idea, but I would love to hear more. Well, you know, I one, we're the most populated states, right? So there's that, um, you know, close to the border. Mm-hmm. There's that as well. Um, for, you know, for Florida, you know, we're a high, highly transient state. And before, you know, everything that happened in March, Um, You know, we had 75 million people come into our, you know, into Orlando for tourism a year. Yeah. So you've got a lot of transient nature. You've got a lot of people in vacation mode. You know, one of our favorite, one of my favorite sheriffs is Sheriff um, Grady down in Polk County. He, uh, 
you know, he says, because they do stings about four times a year, you know, it's shocking that they still round up a hundred people. I'm like, do you guys not know who this guy is? Um, right. And he shames the buyers on live TV. He'll pull the pictures up and, um, you know, and be, and this guy told his family he went out for ice cream when he was really thinking he was going to go have sex with a 14 year old girl, you know, and this guy, yeah, he works at XYZ, you know, hospital and <laughs> puts and, him on blast. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. And, you know, it's people come down in vacation mode thinking they're going to get away with something. And I got to tell you, our law enforcement is all over this. They know why people come here. You know, so we, you know, they, our, our law enforcement works very hard to disrupt the cycle in, you know, in, on the demand side. So that's really part of, you know, one of the things that has Florida and California and Texas, and quite frankly, Arizona, um, we've got some of the best organizations in the country that work very closely together that, you know, if we get a phone call, we know exactly who to call because we're all connected. We all know each other. And if, if we, if I don't know somebody, somebody else knows somebody and we'll connect them, you know, and that's really the, I, I think the, the, the shining light in all of this, right. The, the light of hope inside this conversation is it has people working together that you wouldn't normally think would work together. You've got community centers working with police officers. You've got, you know, federal agents working with NGOs that are working with survivors. You've got victim advocates working super closely with local organizations. You know, it, it really, it's a, it's a bipartisan across the aisle. Everybody can get on board with, it's not okay to sell another human being to another human yeah. being. It's not okay. And, and that's the one cool thing about this is it really does bring people from all walks of life, all varieties, all backgrounds to agree on one thing. That's not okay. And it's not going to happen on my watch anymore. Which is amazing because, you know, I think we all have obviously different individual perspectives, but sometimes it feels like we're living in a world where that's hard to accomplish, where Ooh. we have a, a general unified thing that we all say, we need to stop this. And mm -hmm. I feel like, obviously, it's wonderful that that's happening in this area. I was like, man, why can't we accomplish that in other areas more often as well? It's crazy. Why we have to be on these teams? Yeah. Like, it's, we're on well, the same team. Like, yeah, called human race. You know, it's so yeah. interesting. My, uh, my daughter, um, there's this really cool park downtown Orlando. It's, you know, like a playground. And um, it's got all, you know, just the coolest stuff you, you never had at your school playground, okay? And she loved right. going yeah. down there when she was little. And uh, there was one night, it was dusk, it was in the fall, so it was a nice night, right? And they have these seats that kind of go in curves for the parents to sit on while you're watching your kids, you know? And she loved it because she was an only child, so she got to, you know, hang out and play with all kinds of other little, little people. And there was a moment in time, you know, we've probably been there 30 minutes, and there was seven kids holding hands, Right. And I'm talking every shape, size, race, background, all holding hands. And they're, you know, and they were like all holding hands, running around the park together, you know, deciding what they were going to play. And I burst into tears. And the mom sitting next to me is like looking at me like, are you okay? Right. She's like, Jan, what's going on here? <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, why can't we be like that when we're this age? Yeah. 
You know, what I, yeah. happens that somebody says something and then all of a sudden as a human being, we decide because I'm not that I'm not supposed to like you. It just makes no yeah. sense to me. And it was just such a magical moment for me. And as a reminder that, you know, it's possible. Little kids do it all the time. All the time. I see my daughter doing that all the time. And I've, I've always said to my wife, where does that change? What's the tipping point for that as we get older, where we start not believing in that, or we start choosing sides and then saying, no matter if that makes sense on that other side, I will not be a part of that. I will not even give it any credit. And it's just, obviously, this is an important issue that, yes, it's great. Everyone is, I think we agree with that, but like, man, why so hard to achieve? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, I, I was in the media environment, right? So I can now mm -hmm. point the finger and go. Yes. But if you look at what's happened over time to our television shows, to our movies, the radio shows, it's like you had to get more and more dark and more and more mm. raunchy and more and more something to break through the clutter, you know? And um, if you, there's two really great films, well, now three, that I highly recommend people watch. Um, to get the source of some of this. One is, it's called Misrepresentation, M-I-S-S representation. Mm. And it's about the commoditization of women, intentional commoditization of women. And the, and the um, partner film is called The Mask You Live In. And it's about the emasculation of men and the suppression of their emotions. You know, and it's oh, really- yeah. And if you, if you want, I tell people, watch them back to back, right? Take a little snack break in between, mm -hmm. but watch it back to back. And at the end of the second film, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I now get why we're doing what we're doing. You know, cause somewhere along the way, somebody bought into that men can't, can only have two emotions. You either have rage or you're happy. Right. Nothing right. in between. Nothing else. <laughs> yeah. You're just these two binary things, you know? <laughs> Yeah, somebody decided that and then we all agreed, right? There's this thing called reality agreement, you know? And and uh and so now you have these, you know, young men in their teenage teen years with suppressed emotions, and then you've got the commoditization of women and they've had an they've had a uh exposure to pornography mostly as young as eleven, and yep. then they start having all these emotions, all these feelings. You're supposed to date, okay, now I date. And then you're in this situation where you're being horrible to this young girl because that's what you think it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And then the young girls are like, I guess I have to take it because if I want a boyfriend, this is what it is. Right. You know, without having anyone just go time out. <laughs> How do you feel about this? Forget about what the society says. How do you feel about this? And that's why it's so in our training, I require people to do the critical thinking. And I truly believe if more people just stopped the action and went, hang on, let me think about this for a second. Let me just pause. You know, and NBA ref, um, referees are trained to hold that whistle blow for three seconds between the time they saw what they think they saw and the time they blow the whistle. We could do that too. And I assert it would make a massive difference in communication with people. Oh my gosh. Yes, completely. I wonder, uh, how has this work affected you personally in your life? 
mm. and your perspective on different <laughs> things? Yeah, well, um, it's a great question. I uh, There are days when I cry a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that another human being could do that to another human being, you know? Um, but I can't live there <laughs> because there's work to be done. And it inspires me when I listen to what survivors have been through. It's what gets me up in the morning. When I, you know, listen to, you know, what the kids have to say after they've gone through our training. When I watch 10 young boys delete Snapchat off their phone in front of me, it's like, this is working, right? This is making a difference. When I get to partner with another anti-trafficking organization to go out and make a difference in a community and someone comes up afterwards and goes, thank you so much for doing this. I, that happened to me as a kid and I didn't know what it was. I'm going to go get some help. I'm going to go talk to a therapist about working this out for myself. It's rewarding. And, and the thing that I think about is, um, you know, God gave me this assignment and I will continue to do it until he asks me not to. Right. Yeah. And, and the impact, the long-term, long-ranging impact we have of just making a difference for one kid, for one family. There was a little girl who went through our training, and uh, about 10 days after our training, somebody asked her for an inappropriate picture on her phone. Some stranger, some random you know, text. And she, because of our training, she immediately went to her parents. They called the police which in turn, they all called the principal and said, hey, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my world, I saved that little girl's life. Yeah. You know, saved that family from unspeakable trauma. Um, and that's what keeps me going. You know, that's the thing that has me keep fighting is for that one more person, that one more person, you know, and there are days when it is rough. You know, because like I said, I work closely with law enforcement and several attorneys in this space, and it is rough. I just there are days I'm like I shut my computer and I go turn yeah, on yeah, right happy movie. You know, kind of have to a little bit. Yeah, I would imagine, abso- yeah, you know, absolutely. But you know, God's designed me for this, and it's it's interesting because people are like, Jan, don't doesn't isn't this hard? I'm like, no, I'm saving lives. That's not hard. What's hard is being with the depravity of humanity. And then I want to get to the source Mm. of that because, Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, you you know what? You don't wake up one morning, Darian, and decide to sell people. You don't. Mm. What's that process in you that you, I mean, what is that? It's like, what happened that had you choose that. Now, the one thing I do know, the research that I've had an opportunity to look at and view is um, most traffickers were severely abused as children, you know, so that empathy piece got cut off, you know, destroyed so much, um, you know, and a lot of them are literally brought up in that environment. Their uncle or their dad's best friend or their dad or their mom, that's, was their business. And so they grew up in the quote family business. Now the other piece too is, you know, a lot of it is drug related. Um, About 50 to 60% of human child trafficking is done by family members. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, you've got 
a mom or a dad that's hooked on some kind of drug and, you know, the drug dealer will look at the parent and look at the kid because sometimes the kid will come with them and they'll be like, well, if you can't pay, I'll take that. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a friend of mine that's a survivor here and uh, they, they covet their shoes because when they were younger, when they'd get a new pair of shoes, they'd put it underneath their bed and it'd be gone the next morning because this person's mom would sell it for their $10 crack hit. Yeah. You know, so, um, there's a, you know, so that's part of it. And, and I, my housemate, um, she's of color. We talk about this a lot. And I said, you know, um, we've got to come back and restore the family. We have to most definitely because most definitely, you know, we are human beings and we crave and we need love and human touch. And if we don't get it at home, we're going to find it somewhere. And that's what why. Think, what do you think's happened to the human family? So, sorry to cut you off, but I just really started thinking about that. Like yeah. when your your point of view, I want to explore that. What has happened in your mind? And that's yeah. well, uh, you know, after World War II. We asked the wives to go back home <laughs> and you got to look. Okay. Let me say, I had this really exciting job making a difference for our country. Now you want mm-hmm. me to go home and make pies. It's not fulfilling. You know, I, I go from this, you know, and I, I assert it's a similar syndrome, right? Like I'm not an expert on this, but I'm just taking an educated guess that it's why CEOs if when they retire, you know, from these big jobs, they die within 18 months to two years of a heart attack because they're bored to death, right. you know? So I, I think part of that is the design of, you know, uh, you, you know, two car family, two car garage, more TVs, like all of a sudden this consumerism happened in the, you know, early to late fifties. And in order to quote, quote, keep up with the Joneses, somebody else had to go back to work because wages started dropping. Right things started becoming more expensive and in order to keep up with everybody else, you had to provide more income. Well, if the man's salary wasn't enough, well, the mom had to go to work. And the moment the mom went to work, we left parenting to the schools and there you go. So you now have strangers educating your children. You have, you know, no time at home. And then if you look at today's family, um, you know, how many times have you gone out to the restaurant and seen everybody on their phone? Oh, it's constant. Mm-hmm. It's constant. And yeah. the weird thing is, I think even to add to that, there may be some sense of um, this foreign aspect of families. What I mean is that, think about the lockdown for people. You, you may have spouses or significant others who are at home for the first time with their families, actually, on a regular oh, basis. yeah. And it feels foreign to them. So they don't even have the skill set to know how to be with those nope. with the people that they're exactly. with. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I think, you know, just the human interaction skill set is missing. You know, back, yes. my my daughter's a, a young millennial and um mm-hmm. but she's more mature. And there were so many articles that I was reading because it was very frustrating because she was having a hard time making friends with people in her own age group, you know. And, and a friend of mine was sending me articles about so many millennials do not know how to interact with other human beings, like <laughs> yeah, as a yeah. human being. It's and, true. And yeah. Full-blown conversations. And there were, 
um, businesses that were there like, look, do not send me any more B-School graduates until you actually take on teaching them how to work in a group, how to take, mm. you know, um, coaching and how to communicate clearly in multiple sentences or in paragraph form. Like, oh, man. Yeah, literally. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, you know, because they didn't know how to communicate. And see, I was a demand for communication in my household. And there was a point in yeah. time when my daughter and her boyfriend and I were all living together. and. Um, and I was sitting in the TV room and, and they were sitting, standing in the kitchen, having a conversation. I'll never forget. My daughter slammed her hands down on the kitchen counter. And she goes in this family, we communicate. If you've got something to say, if you're dealing with something, you better talk about it now. And I'm like, Hmm, that, I guess Dang. that worked, you know, because she does. We were a demand for communication. And look, if you're angry, I get it. Back, go to your room, cool off yeah. so you can have a dialogue about it. And, and that's what's missing in our, in our society, not just families, but in our society. You know, we're, we'll read a headline and make a decision as opposed to actually either reading exactly. the article or doing the research. Completely. You know, no, it's like there's no thinking happening. And, and it's, it's easier for me to react than to think. And you put that in the family unit space, right? Generally, you know, mostly people got married for lust, not necessarily love and compatibility. And I, I have a friend that's an attorney and I, I it was very early on in the, in the, you know, shutdown and, and I'm like, how's it going? He's like, oh my gosh, we're so busy. And I said, you're busy. What are you guys busy doing? He's like divorces. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so there's no. Here's the thing. There's no handbook for being a, a human. There's no guideline for what it is to be a human being in the environment that we're in right now. And, and it would, I think, behoove a lot of us to stop and breathe and think and look and go, is this, what's the impact of my next action going to be on not only mm. myself, but others? What is it that I'm about to say? <laughs> You're asking a lot now, Jan. <laughs> actually, I'm not. I, I know, I know. I'm, I know. I'm with you. But you know, people do. don't do that regularly. Like they just spews out of the mouth, whatever. I subscribe to what you're saying. I like I'm into thoughtful responses, which is mm -hmm. a big part of my podcast is I just listen a lot yeah. and don't say anything. And then when you give me the pause, I've thought a lot about what you've said. There's a little bit of a lag time. And then I don't see that a lot. Seriously. Mm -mm. I, it's not common to me. To me personally, it's not common. No, it's not. Well, and it's funny too, because I pause on purpose. I'm a trained speaker, right? So you've got to pause and let whatever you're saying settle in with who you're talking to. Completely. Completely. And a lot of people don't do that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, Tony Robbins is famous for saying the quality of your life can be measured by the quality of the questions you ask. Mm. Yeah. You Even know, if you're and, asking questions, who's asking mm, questions? I mean. Yeah. Where's the, you know, are you trying to manipulate something or are you really trying to, are you really, you know, in the inquiry and, and, you know, listening is the other half of that. Right. You know, if I'm listening for what there is next to say, I'm not really listening to you. 
but if I give really thoughtful pause to what you're saying and really listen, I can actually recreate what you're asking me in a way that you get, you get that I heard you, which opens up a whole new level of, of connection and, and honesty and openness and trust and authenticity and love and all those other really great things that make a difference out in the world. It's interesting you say that. And, and I think this just popped into my mind. When you do this speaking, let's say podcasts, do some people who are talking to you, they struggle with this aspect of how you communicate? No. Not at all. Not at all, because I'm, um, I'm trained, right? I have a lot of training to listen and to speak to what's being spoken to, and I can hear what's not being said. You know, when you're in a large group of people and you're having the kind of conversation I'm having, I can't tell you how many times I've altered what I thought I was going to say to what needed to be addressed in the room. And, and I think that's why our training is so effective, is we engage in a conversation with these kids. We don't talk to them. We don't talk at them. We have a conversation with them. And we invite them to think. And that makes a difference. Which certainly leads into, you're, you're fighting, obviously, a battle on human sex trafficking, but also a battle on the deterioration of communication in young yes. people. Yes. And, and it's interesting because that's one of those sideline benefits that you kind of hope for. <laughs> that that has transpired for us because we go back we do pre and post tests of every conversation we have so i have a lot of data and then we've gone back to two groups that we talked to and and to see how long our conversation lasts with them did it really stick or is it something that lasted for just a week or two and we went back six months later after one of our research one of our um events and you know, we interviewed almost half, right? We originally started with 350 kids and we got surveys back for about 175, right? So just about half. 60% of the kids that took this program said they shared with their friends and family what they learned. These are middle schoolers, Darian. Middle schoolers don't talk about anything with anybody. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So to have 60% of them, that's six zero, share what they learned, it's huge. Huge. We had 27% of them go sit and have lunch with someone who mostly ate lunch alone. Hmm. And we have no idea the long-term impact of that. 19% of them stopped bullying on social media. You know, 22% shared a concern with a trusted adult about a fellow student. It woke them up that we can't be bystanders. You know, our film is very powerful. 
and it leaves people in an emotional space. And inside that emotional space, we're able to actually have real conversations with them. And they're, and they're, you know, the thing I love middle schoolers, people think I'm crazy, but I love them because their brains developed enough. All right. That we can have this conversation and they're still empathetic towards other human beings. Mm. And so they know how that, that character felt. And I'm like, you, I'm like, y'all know, right. You felt it. Didn't you? And they're like, yeah. I said, do you really want one of your friends to feel like that? They're like, no. I'm like, great. You can no longer be a bystander. I've given you actions to take and I invite you to take them. You know, talk to a trusted adult, talk to your parents, check in on your friends. Because if somebody is, you know, that loud person that always comes down the hall, you know that person's headed your way before they even get there, right? That energy person. Mm-hmm. If they show up on a Monday and they're not that, you check in on them. You have no idea what happened over the weekend. They have, may have nothing to do with human trafficking. But just that one gesture of, hey, hey, man, you know, especially if it's a guy, hey, man, how you doing? I'm here. Just that one little moment in time could literally save someone's life because they've noticed someone noticed an alteration in their behavior. And you keep checking in on that person a few days later, they could be like, well, this is what happened. I don't know what to do about it. You know, remember what that lady said? Yeah, let's go talk to the counselor. Okay, let's go do that. It's going to make a difference. It's a deep dive into, in many ways, emotional responsibility with other mm-hmm. people. And, sure and because we're not getting that from parental units or guardians or whatever um, aspect of that, how are we going to get this? Like the things you just said are things that I talk to my daughter about and those things, but you know, not all the time, but I would, I would say that I'm not sure this is happening in most people's homes that they're having this discussion on this deep of a level to check in emotionally on somebody and especially, and then you're looking at middle schoolers in the completely opposite way that a lot of people look at middle schoolers Mm -hmm. and that time period, it is not often looked at at a a very kind way that time Mm -hmm. in life for children. And you've made it, you've turned it and said, okay, they have a, an actual superpower during this Mm -hmm. time. In a sense, we need to capitalize on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting you say that because I'm actually hosting a parent tech talk October 8th and another one on October 24th. They can go to our website at pavingthewayfoundation.org and go under programs and they can register for them um, to create because my goal is to create an environment where parents are actually trained and educated on how to have these conversations with their kids because it's a missing. And Every, you know, 95% of the, remember, 13,000 people I've been in front of. It's a lot of people. They've literally said 95% of the kids surveyed have said, our parents need this training. Our parents need this conversation. <laughs> right. Our parents have to have this information, right? Yeah. And and so we're, we're going to, you know, guide a conversation around how do you handle a six-year-old who throws a World War III tantrum mm-hmm. because you turned the TV off. You know, you're, we're going to bring an addiction specialist on to talk about the addiction centers of the brain. You know, there's a reason why our teenagers are attached to the likes, loves, comments, all of that. Mm-hmm. 
it's a dopamine hit. Of course. That they're not getting from their parents. They're not getting from their friends. They're not getting from their teachers. They're not getting from their coaches. You know, it's do more, have more, drive more, be more successful. It's always more, more, more. It's Mm -hmm. never, there's very little acknowledgement out in the world of great job. You brought a C home. Right. Better than a D. Great work. What do we need to do to bring that up to a B? What's our next step? What's our next tool? And, And the woman that founded Spanx, she had a great article in the seven most powerful words her ever dad, her dad ever gave her. And that was, what'd you fail at today? And she'd have to share a failure. You know, this is growing up, going to school. And he'd give her a high five. Great job. Because he was training her that you have to fail in order to succeed. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm taking that on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> for, my, for my own self, a high five, my own self. Um, but what a great conversation starter to have as a parent with a kid and for parents to share their failures. Because somehow kids have it that we're this perfect thing because we keep telling them what to do. No, we're not. My daughter knows everything about my life. And I mean everything, right? Because she needed to know I am a, I am a human being and I am not perfect. There is such an air. Oh my God, Jan, we are like kindred spirits on this. I'm telling you, like, I am very into that. I was telling my wife the other day, and I know I've told several people this. I said, I want my daughter to know all things about me. I don't want there to be this mystery about me when she grows up. Like, well, I really didn't know much about my dad. Yep. Or they, And a lot of kids, I think they have this mystery about their parents. Like, they actually don't know who these people are. Mm-mm. But although they raise you, you don't really know anything about them behind. Yep. And I think that's a real mistake, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. Cause you know, my, like, you know, my daughter knows all the silly things I did in high school and you know, all the silly stuff I did in college and mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> the, and, and she's also my biggest cheerleader, you know, because she knows everything I've experienced and everything I've overcome, you know, she's like, you go mom. She's the first one that'll be like, no, 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 go do that. No, 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 go do that. Like she like some Cherokee Indian. Um, I was, I, I am, I'm 50% Cherokee. I was adopted out of the tribe as an infant and I've wow. you know, recently found my roots and my family and, you know, got connected with my birth family. It's unbelievable. And, yeah. It's pretty cool. And, and she's like, mom, you should be chief of the tribe, you know, man, <laughs> you know, but to have my daughter's view of me of that, something happened. Yeah. You know, uh, no, you know, we have our spats and we have our disagreements, but the fact course. that my daughter listens me as a future chief of the tribe of the Cherokee Nation. <laughs> I mean, who talks like that about their parents? Who does? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know? totally true. Yeah. It's, there's just a level of honesty and I feel like mm-hmm. there's something there that parents feel that they have to keep away from their children who they are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I do. I do. What does that come from though? And it's such a missed opportunity. Well, again, if we go back, right. You know, have you ever watched one of my favorite TV shows is the marvelous Miss Maisel. Yes, I have. Yeah. You know, it's set right at the, you know, 19, late 1950s, -hmm. early 1960s. And if you look at how everyone's dressed, that's how women dressed. You had to be perfect. 
right. before you walked out the door. You had to be coiffed. Men had to be in the suit, the tie, the hat, the whole spiel. Like you had to look good all the time. And they didn't talk to their kids about stuff. You know, in many cultures, it's spoken a different way. You don't air your dirty laundry out in public. Right? You put on a happy face and then you suppress what's really happening. You know, we didn't talk about domestic violence until OJ's wife was killed, even though we knew it was happening. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I think part of it is this facade, this, you know, selfie world of great online while we're suffering silently inside. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and the other thing too, a friend of mine said, it's so powerful. He's like, it's like, if you just look at social media, it's just a sea of opinions, just a sea of opinions. You know, and, and instead of sharing your opinion, why don't you share what you're for? What are you for out in the world? What can you stand mm. for to happen? You know, if you're for peace, well, what actions are you taking to forward peace? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a novel concept, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's funny because people get a little, they'll, like, I'll watch their back get up. I'm like, look, holding signs whatever like really whatever if that if that if you feel like that's you making a difference great here's what i invite you to do we're the only nation in the world where you can walk through a metal detector and go talk to your representative that is city county state and federal levels so if you really want to make policy change if you really want to stand for something You put your little happy you-know-what in your car and toddle down to City Hall. You toddle up to your state capitol or you toddle up to to Washington, D.C. And have your voice heard politely, effectively, and clearly. Yeah, most definitely. That's what will actually alter things. That's what will make the difference. You know a thing or two, Jan, okay? We we get it. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. No, no, I'm just joking. I'm like... I'm just passionate about people literally having a say. Uh, this is wonderful. Honestly, this conversation is very refreshing, uh, very straightforward. I-, I knew that talking to you offline. I was like, oh, yeah, Jan's about getting to the point, which I is am, great. I am. And people know it. And, and I, you got to get I've worked very hard over the years to be yeah. lovingly compassionate, ruthlessly compassionate. I love that term ruthlessly compassionate yeah i have i do i have compassion for humanity i do yeah i do i really do and at the same time it's you know there's some stuff that's happening that i'm just not okay with as a human being it's got nothing else to do with my sex my political beliefs my religious beliefs my color of my skin it's got nothing to do with any of that it's got is it flat out human beingness yeah it's not okay to sell another human being i'm sorry it's just not. not It's It's not. not. So, you know, that's what I'm standing for is disrupting that cycle. That's a four I'm standing for, you know? Well, I feel like um, this is an incredible um, aspect in life that you're pushing very hard. And I'm glad that this could be on my podcast to be for it, for pushing and being a part of that and having you on and to tell your story, to talk about the work that you're doing, and to be vulnerable and honest about what's happening and what you're for. 
I'm very grateful for this conversation. Yeah, Darian, thank you so much. I knew this was going to be delightful as well. And I just appreciate your willingness to dance in the conversation with me. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's powerful when two human beings can have this kind of, you know, uh, dialogue. Most definitely. I mean, gotta be, it, I think you gotta be for the right things in life. I mean, this yeah. is the right thing to be for. And if yeah. you're not, I don't know what type of person you are. <laughs> well, you're probably involved. Um, yes. So, yes. <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. And you know, wow. the thing, yeah, the thing too, Darian, that I love having conversations like this on podcasts and, and sharing it with people is it gives people hope. It gives people a, an opportunity to model this kind of dialogue you know, to be, okay, well, what is ruthless compassion for me? What would, it, what would my life be like if I took on being ruthlessly compassionate? What would that, how, what would that be? How could I do that? How, you know, like really being in the inquiry for themselves to be for something. Yeah. Very powerful place to be for sure. Extremely powerful. Well, thank you so much, Jan for giving me this time, your valuable time to have this discussion with you. My pleasure. And, you know, look, I invite people to connect with us as you know, I gave my information before, but on Facebook, it's Jan Edwards. And uh, there's a picture of the world on my, where my face should be. And then mm -hmm. a picture of hands that are painted in the world with doves, <laughs> very symbolic intentionally. Mm -hmm. And on our social media for our organization, it's at, Paving, P-A-V-I-N-G, and then the letter W. It's all our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And if and you I, haven't sent me that stuff, send it to me so I could put it I in know. the show notes and links yeah, and stuff like that. For sure, for sure. And, you know, and I just invite people to connect with us. You know, be in the inquiry for yourself. What does this mean for you? How can you get involved? What actions can you take? You know, just by putting the 800 number in your phone and calling it makes a difference makes a difference. And the eight hotline number is 888-3737-888. Super simple. Thank you for your gift of, and your determination and your stick to for this. Thank you. Mm, totally my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me beyond and, and, and being patient in us having this beyond. Yeah, really. of course. No, my, I want to be flexible. You know, I want to, <laughs> I want to be ruthlessly compassionate and caring. Oh, and I, I love it. I love it. Very thank important you. to me. Very yeah. important yeah. to me. So we so will much. be in touch, uh, Jan, and um, I look Can't forward wait. to it. Can't wait for this to air. You got it. Okay. Thank you. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed, 
It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.